good morning. It's time for this week's episode of History's Hook, sponsored by ServPro with your host, Tom Price. Take it away, Tom. Hello and welcome to History's Hook, where I guarantee that we'll get you hooked on history. I'm your host, Tom Price. Each week on History's Hook, we'll be bringing you interesting and informative stories from the past in an effort to connect the history in our own backyard to the big events that compose national and world history. We'll explore a new topic every week and bring in experts and eyewitnesses to the events and places we'll be talking about. This is not your high school history class. We're going to make history fun and compelling. We're going to get you hooked. Today, I am honored to have joining me a person who has lived a life within the political sphere. Mr. Bob Clement was raised in large part at the governor's residence as he was the son of three-term Tennessee governor Frank Clement. As such, he was at the center of Tennessee history in the making in the 1950s and 60s. Mr. Clement learned the value of public service at an early age. After graduating from the University of Tennessee as an ROTC student and the University of Memphis, Clement was commissioned a second lieutenant in the U.S. Army. Mr. Clement would eventually serve 29 years in the Tennessee National Guard, retiring as a colonel. Mr. Clement began his career in public service when he was only 29 years old, becoming the youngest statewide officeholder in the history of Tennessee. Later, he was appointed as a director of the Tennessee Valley Authority by President Jimmy Carter. He was later named the president of Cumberland University, to great success for that institution. Elected to the United States House of Representatives in 1987, where he spent the next 15 years, Mr. Clement was known as a bipartisan member, often voting with the opposition on issues he championed. He served on the House Transportation, Foreign Affairs, Budget, and Veterans Affairs Committees. He also founded and co-chaired the Education Caucus. After leaving Congress, our guest formed Clement & Associates, a public affairs consulting firm in Nashville. Clement is also the author of the acclaimed political memoir, Presidents, Kings, and Convicts, My Journey from the Tennessee Governor's Residence to the Halls of Congress, published by Archway Publishing in 2016. He is a sought-after public speaker. Mr. Bob Clement, welcome to History's Hook. Tom, gosh, you know more about me than I know about myself, but it's great to be with you, and gosh, what a great following you have, and uh, we're pleased you have such a great program. Thank you. Thank you so much. Also in the studio today, we have History's Hook veteran, Zach Kinslow. Zach was previously our guest, speak- guest speaking about his research on and writing on Elias Pogue. Today, he returns as the new director of the Clement Railroad Hotel Museum in Dixon, Tennessee, the birthplace of Governor Frank Clement. Welcome back to History's Hook, Zach. Uh, thanks for having me back, Tom. Finally, we are joined by my co-host, Dr. Barry Gidcombe, professor of history at Columbia State Community College. Hello, Barry. Good morning, and just to make it make it clear, I, I came here this morning straight from the Frank Clement building at Columbia State Community College. <laughs> he's everywhere. He, he's had a huge impact on uh, on our state, which we'll, we'll cover this morning. First off, Mr. Clement, before we get into your story, I am most interested in hearing a political veteran's view on current events. The election of 2020 has been one of the most contentious in all of American history. Most recently, we've seen violence erupt around the election and at the U.S. Capitol, a place where you spent the better part of two decades. What's your take on the state of American politics in 2020? And how? what are the biggest changes that you've seen from the time that you spent in national politics to today? Well, I've been to a lot of inaugurations. Matter of fact, I was going to go to this one, but uh, with everything that's happened, uh, that's not going to happen now because it's pretty well shut down. Uh, We're still moving forward. Uh, We're going to have a new president, and uh, 
I wish President Trump had seen that uh, to go to his uh, successors uh, swearing in, but uh, that's not going to happen. I think that's a major tragedy. Uh, We have a great democracy. We need to do everything we can to preserve it. Uh, Yes, it has changed. Uh, It has become uh, much more partisan, petty. Uh, I remember so well serving in Congress, and uh, and I served there from 88 to 2003. We would even have retreats, Democrats and Republicans, on the weekend on civility in, in Pennsylvania and West Virginia and all that about how we you could reach across the aisle and uh, work together and solve problems and attack the issue rather than one another. And uh, we've gotten away from that in recent years, and I hope we'll do everything we can to get back to what I call civility. Do you know Joe Biden? Yeah, very well. Matter of fact, I was with him, uh, I, I guess it, now it was about a year ago because... Uh, everything's been so shut down. He hadn't even been able to campaign much in the United States, uh, stay in Delaware mostly, but uh, we had him in Nashville, Tennessee. What uh, kind of man is he, and what do, you th- what do you think we should expect in his presidency? Well, I work with him a lot when I was a member of the House of Representatives, and he was a member of the United States Senate, and uh, I was... Uh, one of the founders of New Democrats. That's a conservative, uh, moderate wing of the Democrat Party. And uh, we would meet with Senator Biden about various issues because, as we know, any bill's got to get through the House and the Senate and then work out the uh, uh, compromise between the two bills and be voted upon on a conference report and then voted on again in the House and Senate and submitted to the president, then he has a right to either sign it or veto it. It takes two-thirds to override a veto. My wife and I play a game where we collect handshakes from well-known people in history. For instance, I had the pleasure of shaking the hand of Lion Tyler, the grandson of the 10th president, John Tyler. Mm. By so doing, I'm only three handshakes away from people like James K. Polk and Andrew Jackson and many more mid-19th century personages. After reading your autobiography, I realized that by shaking your hand today, I've opened the door to most of the 20th century's well-known celebrities and world political leaders. You've led an exceedingly interesting life. Born in 1943 in Nashville, you come from a long line of Tennesseans. Long line of Tennesseans, uh, yes. As a matter of fact, I think we elbowed one another rather than shook hands. <laughs> now, I have shaken about a million hands. I'm sure. Because I've been to every county in Tennessee, all 95 counties, over and over since I was nine years of age when my father was elected governor of Tennessee. And so I have covered this state many, 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 many times. You describe your mother in your autobiography, Lucille, as beautiful inside and out. Tell us a little bit about her. Well, mother, uh, honestly, to tell you the truth, she's from uh, Erin, Houston County, not too far from Dixon County, where my father was from. And uh, she had a wonderful family, Christensen family, uh, Swedish descent. And mother was absolutely 
beautiful. Matter of fact, she could have been a movie star and wanted to be a movie star. Hmm. But her mother and dad wouldn't let her go to Hollywood, and so she got married at 19 years of age. And mother and dad only 20 days apart in age, and they went across the Kentucky line. And I must admit, that's where I did catch them in a field once more time because I have the uh, marriage license. And it said 21, yet they were 19. Oh. <laughs> but they had a great marriage, and uh, and gosh, what a great parent, great parents to have. We're going to spend a significant amount of time on your father, Frank Goad Clement, today. He is one of Tennessee's most significant people, and without exception, one of the country's most colorful characters. Describe for us how he looked and how he sounded. Well, Dad was a great orator. Uh, he had a great speech teacher and Dixon, uh, Aunt Docky Weems, uh, our aunt, and she had sent a number of them to the Nationals from Dixon, and uh, and Frank Clement was one of them, and uh, his enemies used to say later in life, don't ever go hear that Frank Clement speak or you may vote for him, you know, because he was so persuasive, and no doubt in my mind, that's reason he got elected at such a young age, at age 32, because of his ability to communicate. Now, he pre- he prepared himself well, but he made up his mind at age 16. He would tell people, I'm going to be governor of Tennessee, and everything he said and did from the time he was 16 to age 32 was toward that one goal and objective. Hmm. And I tell a lot of young people, the earlier you can make up your mind what you want to do in life, the better you're going to do. And I really believe that because a lot of times people go through life and have various gifts, but they don't pursue those gifts. But uh, Dad had a way of uh, reaching out, and uh, he, he went to Cumberland University, where I was president years later, and then from Cumberland went to Vanderbilt, and then he was in the FBI by the time he was 21 years of age. It's amazing. Let, let's take one little bit of a step back here. You were born in Nashville, but you lived in Dixon, Tennessee, for a time prior to your father's election to the governorship. It's where your father was born. What does Dixon mean to your family? Oh, well, everything, because Dixon's uh, where not only my father's from but my grandparents are from as well and gosh I visited there Dixon and Houston counties because my grandparents were so close together. Your grandfather was a lawyer and mayor of Dixon. That's right and then my and my mother's father was judge and mayor as well. And your great-grandfather a state senator. And state senator, yeah. So you come from a long line a of long politics. Line. And they came uh, my, on my father's side of the family from Benton County, from Big Sandy, where my uh, grandfather, Robert S. Clement, that I was named after, I, they thought I'd be the only child or, or the only boy. And so they wanted to honor both their grand uh, or their father, sure. parents. And so I was named uh, Robert Nelson, and that's my other grandfather's name, Robert Nelson Clement. 
as you mentioned, your father attended Cumberland University, a college you would eventually become president of. Uh, and then after graduating from Vanderbilt Law, he spent a short stint working with the FBI. He was the youngest agent in the agency at just 21 years old. What was That's, his job there? In, in the, he was an FBI agent, and uh, he was stationed, uh, he was in Cincinnati, Ohio, but also in Chicago. And he was in on the capture of Roger Toohey. Uh, uh, Al Capone was on one side of Chicago, and Al, and Roger Toohey was on the other side of Chicago. And they had dad uh, dressed up as a college kid because he's just 21 years old, following Roger Toohey around. And then finally, Roger was... Tui was was arrested and uh, and spent a lot of years in penitentiary. In the first week he got out, the mobsters, the gang, killed him at a barber shop. So, hmm. and he's just twenty one years old when he's when, taking part in that. When, when he was, yeah, with the FBI, yeah. So World War Two got in the way uh, of uh, maybe a career in law enforcement. Is that right? Well, that's true. Uh, matter of fact, Dad was a uh, Dad uh, w- was in World War II first, and uh, but didn't go overseas, didn't fight, but but was stationed various places in the United States. He was in the army, army U.S. An officer. Army. Yeah. Well, and and that's an interesting story too because when J when Dad. Dad could have gotten a waiver to stay in the FBI, but he told the local draft board in Dixon, when my name comes up, uh, you can draft me. And J. J. Edgar Hoover was very upset at that time, director of the FBI. A lot of FBI agents were getting direct commissions, and Dad refused a direct commission and went in as a buck private and went through OCS, and Mr. Hoover says, you're a good man. And mm. from that point on, uh, Dad was one of Hoover's fair-haired boys. I, I think your father had the ability to really endear himself to most everyone that he met. He was a public servant through and through. He was a state commander of the American Legion, a member of a number of fraternal and service organizations. All these put him in contact with those who would help him in his political run various political runs for office, I would imagine. No, no doubt about that. Being state commander of the American Legion and also very active in the Democrat Party and all that, and general counsel of the Tennessee Public Service Commission gave him the exposure that he needed even at age 32 and run it because he was running against the incumbent, a very popular man, Governor Gordon Browning. So it wasn't a easy campaign. It was a very, very tough campaign. Gordon Browning called your father a demagogue and a pipsqueak. <laughs> uh, how did your father handle matter, derision matter of and fact, political attacks? It even got worse than that. He, Governor Browning went to uh, went went to uh, Erin, Houston County. He said, this Frank Clement's so crooked that if he died today, he you couldn't bury him like a normal person. You'd have to screw him into the ground. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know uh, you know Dad handled it well, and even Governor Browning said about Dad he couldn't he's so dumb he couldn't track a elephant in a snowstorm. And Dad's response was, "Who would want to?" <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was a tough race, and then but then Governor Browning ran against Dad in '54, 
And uh, that was a tough one, too, but they had carried 94 out of the 95 counties. And, uh, Governor Browning accused us of, uh, or accused Dad of building a swimming pool at the governor's residence, which was not true. Uh, all we did was, uh, it was a lily pond and three and a half feet deep, and we uh, took the fish out and jumped in ourselves. So that was the, <laughs> our swimming pool. <laughs> Your father was first elected governor in 1952. He was just 32 years old, as you said. You were nine. What do you remember? Do you remember much of the election? Oh, what was I, it like for a nine-year-old kid whose father yeah, is running for governor? Yeah, I remember it like it was yesterday. Yeah. And we we all, it was Bob, Frank, and Gary. Gary was not born till after the election, a few days after the election. Mother was pregnant. But Frank and I would wear T-shirts, vote for my daddy on the front, and Frank Clement on the back. Not that we necessarily wanted to, <laughs> but we, we, but we wanted to help Dad. And gosh, we were very close family. Do any of those T-shirts exist? You know, that's a good question, and uh, I'm afraid not. <laughs> Your father's speaking style has been compared to a minister sermonizing. He often invoked scripture, and he used the sing-song cadence often employed by ministers, and it worked for him. It really did, uh, and uh, Dad would make the statement, when you take religion out of politics, something's wrong with your politics. And he would quote the Bible uh, at the end of his speech, you know, particularly, Precious Lord, take my hand and lead me on, you know. And it, naturally, he got criticism for that, but uh, he, but he was a true believer, and and proud of uh, of his faith and all that. that. That doesn't mean he was a perfect person. I, I'll never hold him out to being that. We we all make mistakes in life, and uh, he he made his fair share mistakes as well. But he was a true believer in God. One of his best friends was the Reverend Billy Graham. That's right. Matter of fact, Billy uh, asked dad to get out of politics and join his the uh, Billy Graham crusade because dad was such a good speaker and knew the Bible so well and dad had a uh, Sunday school class at McKendry Methodist Church matter of fact it got so big they had to move out of uh, the church and move next door to the Tennessee Theater because so many people wanted to come hear Frank Clement uh, teach Sunday school. <laughs> you mentioned that your parents did their best to see that you and your siblings had a relatively normal life, despite the setting of the governor's mansion. Talk about what it was like to grow up there. Well, even from the first day, uh, dad and mother wanted us to live a normal life. They didn't want us to be in a straitjacket. Very, very important. And uh, so if we wanted to live a normal life, I'd, I'd ask Mother and Dad, I said, now I need some farm animals because I'd, I'd gotten to know Dr. Davis, president of Tennessee State University, and uh, he raised chickens and turkeys and all. And so I ended up at the governor's residence, 12 acres of land, a lot of land in Nashville, Curtis Wood Lane. So I had 150 chickens sold eggs to state employees or anyone, neighbors or anyone else wanted them, 65 cents a dozen, 50 turkeys, 
two goats. That was my our form of transportation around the governor's residence. The goats. Yeah. I started with three uh, guinea pigs and ended up with 150 guinea pigs. But then Vanderbilt wanted to study my guinea pigs. Really? So, so they ended up with them, ultimately. And one sorry monkey. That's the worst pet I've ever had was the monkey. But my brother Frank fed it too much candy and it died. But I also had three horses. Tennessee walking horse, known all around here, and uh, as well as a pinto, as well as a uh, Shetland pony, named Mr. Politics. <laughs> of course. Did you have to build outbuildings, or were outbuildings no, already No, the there? outbuildings were already, a garage was out there, really? and it, it was fenced in, so it, it was perfect uh, for my farm operation. As my father said, only scandal in his administration were his three boys, and I believe that's correct. It had to be a great deal of fun. It was. How much, so much has changed in modern times, how much did people pay attention to your life? Uh, was the media constantly paying attention to you? How, how was that? From a privacy standpoint. Even back in those days, yes. Now, you didn't have the computers and the social media and all that, but, yeah, they would still tune in as well. I I remember when it happened about 1956 when Dad had to send Highway Patrol and National Guard into Clinton, Tennessee, to restore law and order because uh, some agitators had blown up the Clinton High School to keep blacks and whites from going to Clinton sh- was the very first school to desegregate in, for, the, in the entire South. In the entire South, not just in Tennessee, uh, the entire South to be integrated. And Dad said, as long as I'm governor, no far- federal marshals or troops will march in Tennessee. We will solve our problems by Tennesseans. And that's what happened. And uh, so, it, and we didn't have a fence at the governor's residence at that time. They do now, but and so uh, no fence. And we we had a trooper at every tree, Tom, and uh, for protection because there were so many threats on Dad's life. Huh. But relatively little security. No fence. No. 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 Even when Governor Browning lived there before we did, uh, he didn't even have a, any security at all. We we did have a highway patrolman, but Governor Browning and Ms. Browning lived there all by themselves. <laughs> but uh, that was in the early 50s, and then Dad came into office in 1953. These are incredible stories. We need to take a break, so let's take a moment and listen to our sponsors. We'll continue our story right here on History's Hook. Don't go away. History's Hook, sponsored by ServPro, will be right back right after this brief commercial break. History's Hook, sponsored by ServPro, with your host, Tom Price, is back. Take it away, Tom. Welcome back to History's Hook. Today we have the distinct pleasure of having former U.S. House Representative Bob Clement with us, talking about his life growing up in the governor's mansion and the life of his father, Governor Frank Clement. Mr. Clement, some of your friends at the governor's mansion were convicted felons. Tell us why and how that happened. 
all the kitchen help were uh, murderers, all of them. Murderers? Yeah. Now, those that cut the grass, not necessarily, but all those that worked inside. And I even asked Dad as a young kid, I said, Dad, these people have murdered people. He said, don't worry about it. Uh, they committed a crime in a fit of anger. They'll never do it again. <laughs> do it, that I hope. That's right. But none of them ever did. It, it, domestic disputes and all that. But uh, but they were my best friends. I mean, as a kid, remember, I was 9 to 15, 19 to 23. So at nine years of age, uh, you know, we had a lot of funny, humorous things happen uh, with the with the prisoners, and uh, I knew them by first name and all that. But uh, I did have one, uh, the chief cook at the governor's residence, Thaddeus William. He was from rural West Tennessee, and gosh, he could cook anything. He was just fabulous cook. But one day, he stole my fastback Mustang. And and remember now, as a kid, I thought I was in charge at the governor's residence, and I was really not charge of anything, but I, <laughs> here I thought I was. And mother and dad were out of town, and here the highway patroller looking for him, and and, and he shows back up at the governor's residence three, uh, three hours later, and I was really upset. And I said, William, where have you been? He said, oh, please forgive me. I went to see my girlfriend. I said, William, you're a prisoner. And remember now, the scrutiny wasn't real bad with the media, and so they didn't know about it and and all that. And uh, But I said, William, you shouldn't have done that. He said, I'll, I'll never do it again because he knew he was in real trouble. And then I was really upset. And then finally I, I thought, you know, he is an awful good cook. And I don't want to penalize myself. And so I said to William, I said, okay, William, I'm going to forgive you this time. But if you ever get that temptation again, you take mother or dad's car. (laughs) Now, you couldn't do anything like that anymore. Lord, it'd be front page of the newspaper. But thank God nobody got hurt. Nobody was harmed. No. I, Nothing bad. Came I'm fascinated from it. by the dichotomy that you that your life was. Your parents are the <clears> governor, <throat> and first lady of Tennessee, but the people that you're spending probably more time with are those who are incarcerated. Mm-hmm. What lessons did you learn from hanging around with those guys? Well, I spent a lot of time with the highway patrol and and prisoners and all that. I think more than anything else, and that's a very good question, Tom, is a second chance. Because people make mistakes in life, uh, sorry about their mistakes, uh, never do it again. Just like my father being a former FBI agent working three, 30 prisoners a day at the governor's residence. He wanted to, he believed strongly in rehabilitation, which I do as well. And so, uh, you know, I, I, I listen to the prisoners about what they'd experienced in life and how hard it was for some of them growing up. I I expect you learned a great deal about human nature. Human nature, very much. And it helped me immensely to prepare for the future, not realizing uh, how much it would help me. You mentioned in your book a wonderful story of getting to hear Elvis 
at your house, at your home, in 1956. He's just on the cusp of greatness at this point in time. You're catching him on the way up. And you're in a room with Elvis Presley, the colonel, of course, who is always by his side promoting him, your parents, the governor and first lady, and then prisoners. Yeah. Well, that's right. What, a, uh, what an interesting group of people. Altogether. Well, it really was. And how it all happened. And remember now, as a kid, I was a fly on the wall. I'd watch and observe and all that. I, didn't, I wasn't in charge of anything. And so uh, Colonel Tom Parker, his manager that lived in Nashville, in Madison area, uh, called my father and said, Elvis is in town. And Dad had never met Elvis. And this was 1956. And you're right, he was just, he, he wasn't a superstar yet. And uh, Dad said, bring him out to the governor's residence. And then Dad picked up the phone and called the warden at the state penitentiary, uh, Droopy Edwards. He, he said, warden, bring the prisoners out at the governor's residence. Now, the prisoners were singing group. They could sing, and they were fabulous, extremely talented. And 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 they, Dad had sent them all over the state to give their witness where they went wrong and then sing, entertain to church groups, civic clubs, etc. And Johnny Bragg, who wrote the song Just Walking in the Rain, that became famous, wrote that song behind prison bars hmm. and so they came they were brought out to the residence and so upstairs just the family was there colonel tom parker and elvis and and the family and the prisoners and elvis got so carried away he stayed till three o'clock in the morning entertaining and harmonizing with the prisoners and after that every time elvis had come to town he'd call my father Governor, you think I could go out to the go, uh, out to the state penitentiary and spend some time with the prisoners? Which Dad said yes, and I have no doubt he, Tommy, got the idea about Jailhouse Rock and some of right. the other songs simply because of his exposure with the prisoners. What what an amazing experience! We've got a little <laughs> clip. Your father used entertainers like the prisoners and bigger names like Elvis to his political benefit. We have a clip of the prisoners uh, singing a political song about your dad. Now then what about Clement? Your dad was a mighty man of God. <laughs> I, I, lo- well, I love the song. That, but, uh, yeah, they did that. that that's them. And, and they all had 99-year sentences. Matter of fact, Johnny Bragg, who wrote the song Just Walking in the Rain, had six 99-year sentences. Wow. Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, that, the stories impressed me so much about your dad and his beliefs in, in incarceration and rehabilitation. 
rehabilitating uh, the incarcerated as well. It's, it's a fascinating well, story. Well, Tom, he yeah, he was tough, too, when it came to enforce, but uh, he let some people die in his, uh, by the electric chair uh, early in his term. But when he came in the last time, he really had problems with it because there were six men on death row, all black and all from Memphis, Tennessee, something wrong. Uh, in our appeal process and whatever. So uh, he he tried to uh, uh, change the law because he, he thought it w- was not equitable and not fair, and the appeal process was not there to protect uh, people, not only that are not guilty, but those that have committed a crime but did not have fair legal representation. In 1956, your father was the keynote speaker at the Democratic National Convention. How was he chosen for that honor? How that happened more than any was Harry Truman. Harry Truman, President Truman from Missouri, loved Frank Clement. And uh, he he had him on the short list of those he was grooming to be president of the United States. Mm. And back in those days, a Southerner could, really couldn't be <clears throat> president. It's sort of a carryover from the Civil War, anti-South and all that. So it was an uphill fight. And But uh, but Dad was on the short list, and he and Harry Truman did everything he could to work it out where Dad could be the keynote speaker at the Democrat National Convention in 1956. His speech is well-remembered for some people, like future President Bill Clinton, that speech was inspirational and a call to public service. Others felt it was a little bit over the top. We have a clip, uh, a short clip of that speech. Let's, let's listen to how he sounded. How long, O oh people of America, will you permit the welfare of this democracy to be pounced on in the homeland and gambled on abroad? How long, O oh America, will you permit a Department of State under a wandering minstrel to... T- it's you get a sense from that short clip, that sing-song voice that he had. He was a powerful, powerful speaker. Powerful. He's not just reading; he's no, feeling no. every one of those words. That's right. And a lot of times he'd have the text in front of him, and and then he'd look out at the audience and he'd put the text beside and speak for an hour. And uh, he he could make you cry, laugh, uh, all emotions simply because of how effective he was as a public speaker. Uh, in, in that same clip, you can watch a video clip of the of that speech known as the How Long, How Long speech. There's a shot of Harry Truman in the crowd just gleeful after that speech. Uh, he had really whipped that crowd into a frenzy uh, at the Democratic National Convention that year. You know, we had him, or I, I say we, dad and mother, had... Uh, President Truman spend the night at the governor's residence one night, and and uh, then the next morning, Dad knew he got up early in the morning, so he went to the uh, guest bedroom and check on President Truman. He wasn't there here in Nashville, Tennessee, at the governor's residence, and 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 remember that back in those days. Uh, Vice President didn't even have Secret Service or security. So Dad went downstairs because he had five troopers stationed there because we had the former president spending the night and asked the troopers, where's President Truman? Governor, we hadn't seen him. 
And, oh, you can imagine Dad being a former FBI agent <laughs> and governor of Tennessee knowing his career is over. He just you know? lost Harry Truman. He just lost the president <laughs> of the United States, former president. They found President Truman all by himself walking down Curtis Wood Lane because he was used to walking a lot. And, and he was there all by himself, And but uh, everything was fine, but... Ooh, it made everybody nervous. <laughs> You've had the experience of shaking the hand of every president from Harry Truman all the way to President-elect Biden, I suppose. Well, yeah, well, that's true. I've only missed one. Oh, missed- I, I, I just never had met uh, was uh, President Trump, Trump. I never okay. met him. Huh. Uh, president Kennedy paid a visit to your house. Yes, as a matter of fact, uh, at the governor's residence, this was in the early part of 63. And remember now, he was, uh, he was assassinated or killed the latter part of 63. November 22nd so of that year. So this was, mm-hmm. I think it was April. He spoke at Vanderbilt University. Then he came out to the governor's residence. And, and Dad, for some reason, cleared out the upstairs bedroom, the, furniture and everything and and we had the luncheon there i matter of fact i gave the prayer really that day yeah were you nervous and uh, well yeah because president of the united states and all that but i'll never forget and remember i'm the fly on the wall we were in the in the bathroom and remember at the governor's residence the bathrooms are bigger than most people's bedroom you know but we were in the bathroom and uh, Dad and Kennedy were talking, and Kennedy kept asking Dad how it was to be out of office at such a young age, because Dad had left and then come back because the Constitution. Was he concerned that limited. he was not going to win re Yes, he was. Uh, it was ob- very obvious because of labor problems, because of racial problems, mm-hmm. whether he could uh, win a second term. And wanted to know from Dad, and Dad responded, said, Jack, it's hell. (laughs) That's how he responded. I want to mention some of your father's accomplishments as governor. Uh, We already mentioned the desegregation of schools during his tenure. Uh, He started the state's first Department of Mental Health uh, as well. He shifted the state toward industry and manufacturing rather than being primarily an uh, an agrarian state. he he did a, an awful lot during during his presidency. Free books for for all public school students as well. Well, you know that's the reason he got involved at first when he was sixteen years old that he wanted to be governor of Tennessee because at Dixon County High School he would look over at another kid and that kid didn't have textbooks because their family couldn't afford free textbooks because you had to buy them at that time. And Dad says, you know, when I'm governor of Tennessee here, and he's 16 years old, I'm going to make sure that we have free textbooks for all kids in public education, period. And, and, it, and, he, and that's what he did. The first thing he did was uh, toward that goal and objective. I, I know you mentioned mental health. Uh, he established the first Department of Mental Health in Tennessee history because you had your mentally ill and your men and women in your penal institutions all under the same department. 
and he established the first Department of Mental Health and made it happen. Tom, I wanted to uh, to recognize what was one of the most important achievements of Governor Clement's administration for us here in Columbia and for so many people around the state of Tennessee, and that's the creation of the community college system. And Governor Clement and his uh, education commissioner, J. Howard Wharf, decided that the first community college would be right here in Columbia, Tennessee. And it was on September the 26th of 1966 that Governor Clement and Commissioner Wharf were here for the first convocation of the new Columbia State Community College. And at that convocation, uh, Governor Clement said this, because of this school, young people who otherwise would have to terminate their academic careers at the high school level will here find a way into higher education. And I was one of those young people that found my way into higher education at Columbia, uh, by getting to go to Columbia State. And uh, and then I went back to Columbia State later, and I've I've been there for 36 years now at Columbia State in the Frank Clement building, mm-hmm. uh, one of our, our classrooms. And I just wanted to to uh, acknowledge that. And uh, Congressman Clement, do you have any remembrances of the of that part of your uh, father's achievements? Barry, great. Thank you for your service, too, and, and the wonderful community college that we have here in Columbia. And you're correct that it's the first one in the whole state of Tennessee. And I know Marshall Ledbetter and uh, Sam Kennedy and gosh, I can go on and on about people here in Murray County that wanted uh, that uh, first community college to be in Murray County. And I might say everybody in every county wanted a community college after that, too. And Dad felt very strongly as governor that uh, to make education uh, more available. Why travel uh, many miles to Knoxville or Memphis or wherever to get an education? Why not be able to get an education in your home area and uh, critically important because a lot of people couldn't afford uh, to get uh, an education after high school if that hadn't happened and community colleges and technical schools have served us well because dad knew as governor he couldn't uh, recruit a lot of industry from other places from the north and east and overseas if he didn't have an educated society, and that was critically important. Your father was constitutionally prohibited from running for a third term in 1958, but four years later uh, he ran again and was elected. You helped with that campaign. Yeah, well, matter of fact, I did, and uh, Tom, you remember everything. (laughs) You sure done your homework. Uh, and my mother uh, told Dad, says, Dad, you, so, or Frank, you need to utilize uh, Bob in the campaign because I'd, I'd been on the speech team, forensic team, at Hillsborough High School in Nashville, but Dad had never heard me speak. Mother had always come to the debates and et cetera. And so, and Dad was reluctant at first, and then he said, well, I'll try him out. 
And so we ended up speaking in every county in Tennessee. And Dad would kick it off in 1962, running for governor the third time. And he'd speak for a few minutes. And then he'd turn it over to me, and I'd speak. And I'd give the accomplishments, achievements of Clement administration in the first two terms. And then I'd turn it back over to to dad and then dad would remind the crowd remember folks i'm the candidate not my son <laughs> so we i guess we made tennessee history or that might make u.s history really father son speaking in every every uh county in, in the entire state i think so it might it was quite an experience but he wanted something different something unique because running for the third term because remember modern day uh Frank Clement served longer as governor than anyone else in Tennessee history and served for 10 years. Right. In 1966, he ran for United States Senate, but lost to Howard Baker, yes. who became a longtime senator, a powerful voice in the United States Senate. Uh, did your father have a plan after his governorship? Did he ever talk to you about what, what he wanted to do after after his term as governor, his third Well, term as, as you know, when right after he was elected the third time, unfortunately, his time <laughs> was off. Uh, uh, we had Senator uh, Kefauver died, and, and Dad couldn't have, he could have appointed himself if he really wanted to go to the U.S. Senate. He, probably ought to have appointed himself, but he just got elected governor for the third time, and he had all these ideas and programs and everything he wanted to accomplish. So he appointed someone else to serve the unexpired term, Senator Hub Walters, a wonderful human being from Morristown, from Hamblin County, East Tennessee. And then Dad, going out of office, uh, ran for the U.S. Senate, but but as uh, as dad used to say about Howard Baker and Howard Baker's great man and Howard Baker's father was U.S. congressman in the Knoxville area and all that he said son what am I going to say about Howard only elected office at that time that he'd what had been elected to was president of the student body at the University of Tennessee and dad had a record over 10 years as governor of Tennessee, and you make a lot of friends, but you make a lot of enemies, too, because you're sticking your neck out and showing some political courage. So uh, Howard Baker won the race, but it was a friendly race. Uh, They both attacked the issues, and uh, Dad liked Howard as well. So everything worked out well, and Dad would love to have served in the U.S. Senate, but People looked at Frank Clement as governor of Tennessee. They just didn't look at him as a U.S. senator. Uh, He was just 47 when he left office. Uh, Your father died in a tragic automobile accident on November 4th of 1969. Uh, Incredibly young, still had a potential political career, still would have done amazing things in his life, I suspect. Uh, You had an opportunity to spend a couple of weeks with him just prior to his death. Uh, what was that like for you? Well, Dad was killed in an automobile accident in 1949. And I said 49, 1969. He was 49 years old. Uh, I did get to spend the last two weeks uh, of his uh, of his uh, of that last two weeks of his life with him. 
at Fort Gordon, Georgia. And of all things, Fort Gordon is where my father was stationed in World War II and the Korean crisis was at Fort Gordon. And I was stationed there. I was first lieutenant or lieutenant, second lieutenant, really, at the time. And I'd just gotten my orders for Vietnam. And, uh, and so Dad wanted to spend some time with me before I went to Vietnam. And so uh, he asked special permission from the National Guard to pull his guard duty at Fort Gordon where I was, which he did. And so we got to spend the last two weeks of his life with me, and then I put him on a uh, put him on a airplane, sent him home, and three days later he was killed mm-hmm. in an automobile wreck, wreck you know, on Franklin and Franklin Road, uh, right there by Overton high school and and uh and then i was taken off orders uh at that time uh, to go to vietnam and i've always wondered you know that might have ch- saved my life tom who knows right uh zach kinslow is with us this uh, uh this afternoon as well to talk about uh his role <laughs> as director of the clement railroad hotel museum right uh, in Dixon, Tennessee, the place where people can go and learn about the life and legacy of Frank Clement. Zach, uh, tell us a little bit about the museum. How How is it run? Uh, what will people see when they go there? Right. So uh, our museum has been open for, you know, about 2009 is when we opened. Uh, but the building is, is much older than that. Uh, the building we're in is the old Halbrick Hotel. In fact, there's still big painted letters across top that says Hotel Halbrick. Sometimes we still get people calling in asking if they can reserve a room for the night. Uh, haven't done that since 1954, though. Uh, but, yeah, so it was a railroad hotel built by J.T. Halbrick, which was a businessman and industrialist in Dixon County uh, in 1913. Um, and in the museum, you can see everything from history of the railroad, because there were 13 rail lines right in front of our, our museum. Today, there's only one, but Dixon County used to be a changing hub. Straight shot between here and Memphis, straight shot between here and Nashville. So that's where uh, the trains would kind of reload. And these were passenger trains. So people would come off and stay at the hotel. And um, so we have a history on that. Um, Like I like to mention, uh, one of my favorite things that we do have is the old registry book uh, at the front desk of the hotel still on display. And it's a testament to uh, that interconnectedness that the railroad really kind of brings to us. Uh, that only maybe 50 years prior to that you would not have been able to uh, visit Dixon and these places uh, around because you can see the names of everybody staying in the places they're coming from. They're coming from, from all over, uh, not just the state, but all over the country to stay at the Hotel Halbrick. Uh, but we are, are more than just the railroad and we're more than just the hotel. Uh, we have things on Dixon County history from the Promised Land community, which was a, a haven for, for African Americans after uh, the Civil War to uh, Montgomery Bell to uh, the Civil War. Uh, but I think one of the things that really kind of makes us special is the fact that Governor Frank Clement was born in the hotel. Uh, he was born in the museum, and we, we have his birth site there. Uh, so we have information on that, and all the way up through his political career, his rise through the ranks to um, – to, to his death, really. You have some artifacts there that belong to him? Yeah, we do. We have um, mentioned the FBI career earlier. We have a letter of accommodation written in 1946 uh, for Frank Clement, signed by J. Edgar Hoover himself. Hmm. Uh, we have some things dealing with the desegregation 
the report from the Supreme Court that belonged to Governor Clement we have on display, um, campaign memorabilia, uh, letter from Harry Truman, uh, was a good friend of Frank Clement's to the governor, um, pictures of him and Elvis uh, together, to even his desk and his chair uh, from when he was governor of, of Tennessee. Uh, we have all that on display, uh, alongside many, many other things that, that our museum does offer. Um, and, and you were really kind of the premier place for, for 20th century uh, in in Middle Tennessee. You won't really find that in many, many other sites. How can people learn more about uh, the museum? Uh, so we, ha- we have a website. We, have, uh, we are clementrailroadmuseum.org, uh, C-L-E-M-E-N-T, uh, railroadmuseum.org. Uh, so we have that website. Uh, we also are on social media, everything from uh, Twitter to Instagram to Facebook, uh, Clement Railroad Hotel Museum or uh, CRHM, uh, which you can find us at our, our handles there. I encourage our listeners to go to Dixon, Tennessee, and see the museum. It's a, a wonderful place. Uh, Bob Clement, what is your father's greatest legacy? Well, I think his greatest uh, legacy is the fact that he had so much political courage at such a young age. I mean, that's what we're lacking today. People. Too many politicians looking at the next uh, election rather than the next generation. And uh, very visionary uh, thinker, uh, planner, uh, could could communicate so well with the people. I mean, where hysteria turns into history, uh, where you could take some of the most unpopular decisions which were the right decisions, and ultimately become the popular decision. Hmm. So you can have a difference of opinion without having a difference of principle. And, and, and my father had a way of being able to reach out and, and, uh, and make people feel part of a bigger dream. Mr. Bob Clement, thank you so much for spending an hour with us. You've been kind enough to give us a second hour, which we'll use to focus on your illustrious career. Thank you for your time. Zach, thank you for your time as well. Dr. Gidcom, as always, thank you for joining us all on History's Hook. We end the show with this quote from Governor Frank G. Clement. He said, I am a son of the volunteer state. I was born beneath the ambient blue of her arching skies. I was rocked in the cradle of her beauty and glory. I am proud of her priceless contribution to the building of this nation. Thank you to our sponsor, ServPro of Murray and Giles County, for their support, as always. Thank you to the listeners. Join us again next week as we connect the history in your backyard to the world on another edition of History's Hook. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of History's Hook with Tom Price. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Be sure to tune in every Saturday at 8 a.m. and Sunday at 6 p.m. right here on WKRM 103.7 FM for a journey through time. Today's edition of History's Hook was sponsored by ServPro of Murray and Giles County. ServPro, faster to any disaster.